This episode of the No Film School podcast is brought to you by Musicbed. Hey everybody, I'm Liz Nord, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. I've always argued that one of the best things about reality TV is that it gave mainstream audiences an appetite for nonfiction stories and thus paved the way for verite documentary films to have a life outside of the festival circuit. I think the same is happening now for short documentaries due to the insane proliferation of short nonfiction on the internet. Following my reality TV theory, I could argue that people filming their own lives and even things like cat videos created an appetite for the higher quality documentary shorts that are now being produced by or finding distribution on very reputable sites like The Guardian, The New York Times, and Topic.com. On today's show, I discuss this golden age of doc shorts with a great roundtable of three filmmakers who had short doc screening at South by Southwest last month, including Charlie Tyrrell, who won the festival's jury award for his wonderfully titled My Dead Dad's Porno Tapes, and filmmakers Mohammed Gorgistani and Leah Gallant. I think you'll enjoy our conversation about the doc shorts landscape, how they each got their projects made, and how shorts can fit into your filmmaking career's bigger picture, even if you've already worked on commercials or features. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. Thank Hello. you. Hey. Thanks for having us. Um, so why don't you start by introducing yourselves and your film? So my name is Leah Gallant, and I'm the director of Death Metal Grandma, which is about 97-year-old Inga Ginsberg, who has decided to break out um, as a death metal singer. Uh, my name is Charlie Tyrrell, and I'm the director of My Dead Dad's Porno Tapes, which is about my dad and his porno tapes. <laughs> I really want to see that, by the way. So good. Come on. Um, I'm Mohammed Gorgistani. I am the director of Sister Hearts. Sister Hearts is about an incredible woman named Miriam, and she was incarcerated for 13 years, spent seven years in solitary confinement. When she got out, she was um, homeless, and post-Katrina was uh, squatting and um, found things to sell on street corners and um, ended up getting a store, fr- a small storefront that, you know, so she could sleep at and sell stuff. And now she has a 15,000 square foot um, thrift store that serves as a re-entry facility for um, women ex-offenders in New Orleans. Yeah. I love um, when we get to do these roundtables because all the films are so different, but I think there's probably something similar at their heart, which we'll, which we'll get to. But um, just starting talking about shorts, with a feature, you know if it's going to be a shorter feature because you have, with a narrative, I should say, you have a script. So I'm wondering if for these particular films, you knew they were going to be shorts, or if you didn't, at what point did you decide, oh, this is really more of a short? Um, for me, it was, um, it, it was out the gate. Look, knowing we were going to make a short, um, the release strategy for the For Every Dream series that this is a part of is um, is his short format. So, and um, I'm working on a feature film that's like kind of like I think you can only I think you can only kind of do one feature at a time. <laughs> at least my brain can. So um, this was meant to be a short from the beginning. So it was never a question of is this going to be a feature? Is it going to be a short? But um, yeah, so for mine, it was absolutely always going to be a short. I actually want it to be a lot shorter. Originally, it was going to be a 60-second film. Oh. And then it was going to be a seven-minute film. Um, there's a tape recorder, which I found, that has a lot of arguments between my dad and my grandma. And originally, I was just going to do an animation short based off of just that tape recorder in like a 60-second clip. And then when we expanded it out, I 
really, really wanted to hold to the seven minute mark just to keep it, you know, because it's such a personal story. I didn't want to go on and on with it. Um, but we landed at, you know, just over 13 minutes and it felt good. So that's where we stuck. Yeah, for Inga, it was a little complicated because um, when I had first met her, she was going to apply to um, a singing competition. So I thought, oh, that's a very clear arc, you know, three-act structure, beginning, middle, end. You know, I can make a quick short that way. And, um, and I, you know, I thought, okay, it's going to be short. But then she started telling me about her history of being a spy in World War II and, like, getting her dad out of a concentration camp and how she just handed me like a 60 page script that she wrote with um Pedro de Silva who's one of the music collaborators so I was like oh no is this gonna be a feature I can't do two features as Muhammad was saying it's I'm already working on another feature so it was definitely like a, a hard decision to land on the shore but ultimately I think like time and because Ingo is traveling and um you know in her old age it's a little trickier to have like a long haul project like this with an elder uh so yeah we decided on a short um that way <laughs> Well, so in a way, it sounds like you all kind of knew, you knew early-ish on Leah mm-hmm. that it was going to be a short, and you guys knew from the beginning. So how do you decide what makes something a short? Like, why is this going to be a short story versus something that needs the space to explore with this film or in general? Good question. Um, I, think, I think in my case, it was, um, you know, knowing that you're going to make a short kind of forces you to be specific um, and... There's so much of Miriam's story that we didn't tell, um, but um, you know we decided to focus on a few themes, um, build out some sort of um, scene list that kind of was able to map out into a roughly 15-minute landing uh, for the for the runtime, and you know making those hard decisions of well we can't talk about some of the specifics that. You know, the interview itself, we had 10 hours of audio, you know. Um, I did five interviews with her. Um, And it's tough to boil that down to 15 minutes. Um, And there's a ton of stuff that's not there. So I think it's really just about a choice of deciding what what is the ultimate thing you want the audience to take from this and soak from um, her story. And then everything has to be in service of that. So and when I'm working with the editors, the thing I say is like, you know, we're kind of on this highway. We have to make sure we get to the to the uh, the lookout to see the sunrise on time. There's going to be some pretty exits, but let's not take one of those if we're going to miss our final destination. Mm. You know, so mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of how we approached it. Yeah, I I think that's a really good question because I I feel like you know every story could be a feature or a short depending on how much time you spend with it. But knowing I had a time constraint with Inga, and um, I also made it as part of the Jacob Burns Film Center has a class called Creative Culture where you're producing a short film under um, the director Sean Weiner, who's also my producer. And so I knew I was making a short, so that's a little different. But overall, I mean. There's no right or wrong way to approach it, but I guess I just seek out kind of um, when I'm looking at a feature versus a short, is a character going through a a dramatic change from the beginning to the end? And like, do I have enough time to show that change? And um, sometimes, you know, it's, yeah, it's like the story will reveal itself to you. And if it's showing that and you need more time with it, make a feature. But if you're like, no, I think this is really like the story is about X and, you know, I don't, we don't need to spend more time on it if this is a story about X. So it's sort of like um, one of those things where I think you kind of unveil it 
while you're going through the process or you decide that sometimes. But sometimes, yeah, you know you're going to make a short and you have your constraint. Um, so I guess that's how I yeah and and for me I mean I was so reluctant to make this film from the very beginning like I'm a pretty bashful person um so I didn't really want to live with this for you know the years that a feature can take to make sometimes um you know I I was so hesitant to make this film very early on and it was a matter of kicking around the idea to a couple colleagues and them being really supportive and encouraging. And then I actually was referred to check out Sarah Pauly's Stories We Tell. And that one was like, okay, you can, you can do a film about your family and it not be too exploitive and it can really look at and meditate and, um, and like not be too self-indulgent. Exactly. That, that was the bit, that was, that was a huge concern for me is it would be like a look at me kind of thing, which I'm not, and it's not. And that film was the one that really kind of turnkey for me and made it, made me feel a bit more secure about going at it. So what about, um, sort of creatively when you're thinking about these shorts, like Charlie did this kind of stop motion animation, some other techniques, part of Moe's film is in black and white. Like there may be different choices than you might've made in uh, a feature. So I'm wondering if that's the case, if shorts give you some sort of creative freedom or if you approached it in the exact same way you would have. Do you want to start with Charlie? Uh, yeah, I'll go at that first because that's a, that's a big thing for us. I mean, if this was a feature, it, I mean, our film is, I think, something like 75% animation. And we wouldn't be able to do that or afford that in a feature film. And also, it would probably get stale after, you know, anything longer than 15 minutes. So that was a big factor in, um, you know, using the animation that we did, knowing that we had a time constraint and getting to really kind of explode it out and play with it a lot more. Well, I, yeah, I guess we didn't have any major, you know, um, time-consuming, like, special effects or anything like that, but I shot pretty much traditionally doc-style, um, although I did switch up my style in the middle <laughs> of which, I mean, I was originally, I saw a documentary called Dina that was at Sundance um, last year. I loved it, and I loved that, like, tripod, like, beautifully composed just like, let's just sit with the character. And I thought, oh, this is the film I'm going to make with Inga because she's an elder. Where she's like on the couch. Yeah, and, yeah, and that, that was, was that scene. the screen test day was, it was like, ended up being our like final like uh, production credit. But um, I thought I was making that film. And then I realized, you know, like I, that sort of um, kind of closes me off a bit. And I, I didn't want to like set a rule for myself that I didn't necessarily feel like was necessary. And I think sometimes... Um, rules can be great and I know a lot of filmmakers that have these rules that work but for this film in particular I decided against um, going like steady tripod so you might see there's a little bit of a mixture it's more of a traditional doc where there's like 10 different cameras um, and a few different DPs so but no we had one DP Kirby Marseilles whose was amazing um, in a few days we had different DPs but Sometimes that happens, right? When and, you're working with no budget and, and like, friends. And the other thing, well, I've seen your film, so I, I think it's kind of like Inga too, though. She has like right. she oscillates into these different like personas she and characters, does. and like sometimes she's a little bit more like stationary, mm -hmm. and other times she's much much more. Right. Yeah. And that's what we were trying to reflect when we realized, you know, this rule isn't working. So yeah, thanks for noticing. Um, yeah, I guess in my brain, like I don't, I, I guess I've through through you asking the question. Um, and hearing the other filmmakers talk. Um, I don't really, I guess in my brain, I kind of keep the idea of what a 
feature and a short is like almost in like completely different places. Mm. Probably because on the I'm a, you know I'm an, I'm an actually a narrative filmmaker, so on the feature side I'm I'm con- only thinking narratively, and in the short format I've only really done um, a few docs recently. Um, f- creatively, I think for this film we chose black and white um, for two reasons. One mainly because. Um, some of the locations were challenging as far as our ability to control them. It's kind of like the Kevin Smith clerk story, you know, like mixed stock, different things, just like black and white takes care of all that. Um, but then as far as a visual language, you know, I wanted to do something that, um, really took advantage of what I thought were the aesthetic strengths of, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, you're looking at an image and I look at everything as a form and a shape. Um, whether it's a person or, you know, skin tones or backgrounds. So I noticed a lot of, and when I was looking through the location images, a lot of white sterile locations, a lot of black women in the foreground. And I want, I thought this would be a way to kind of really um, um, lean into that yeah. visually. Um, but what I, what I really wanted to do, and I hope it, it came across at some level, was create some level of separation between their reality and our reality. Mm. But then transition that into the audience feeling like, oh no, wait a second, this is our reality. So not in the moment of the film, uh, Ko, who's one of the, one of the, one of the sister hearts looks directly at you, tells you her story for the first time. The women speak for themselves for the first time. And that's when we kind of dip up to color, um, to kind of place the audience into the same world and to, to kind of reveal that we're all, we are all actually living in the same reality, even though you may think like, oh, this is like something that they're living in. We're living somewhere else, you know? Right. It was a really interesting stylistic choice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, actually, I'll, I'll veer away from the style a little, but it's it's all related and you, you all touched on it. So I feel like um, narrative features and shorts in some ways, like they all have their own story, which is part of why it's fun to work at no film school and get to find out the process. But ultimately... They're, so, they're all sort of similar, like the way they come together. With docs, I mean, the, the production stories vary so wildly because you're like going with life. So I'd love to hear kind of how these films were made, even technically speaking, what did you shoot on? It sounds like might have been some different things. So tell me about production. We set up some creative limitations in the very beginning as a way to, you know, we had worked with the same production team that we did my last short in 2015 on, and that one kind of went on way too long and we could have gone a million different directions and we kind of tried a lot of the directions in vain so this was let's limit ourselves in the beginning and you know be a bit more focused and dialed in so for example the animation which um has been kind of funny because a lot of people think that we really planned it out but we didn't we kind of just showed up on the day and martha the animator um she had this beautiful technique called boil swapping, which is when you play with kind of rhythm and scale and swap out objects for single frames, and it creates these really pretty patterns and whatnot. So she brought that technique, and we just had tons of card tables filled with my dad's stuff, and we're just like, we can only pull from here, and let's do that. Um, so you got to play. Yeah, it was, but it was play under a lot of stress and time constraints and in a small, dark studio with no windows <laughs> and really dusty. And yeah, so yeah, sure, we got to play. Um, apart from that, working with Joseph Beebe, the writer, I mean, we went through 
something like 30 drafts of the narration be and that was the first thing we didn't shoot anything we didn't really think about what we were going to shoot until that was done we knew some of the content we had and archival material we could lean on but um we really had to make sure it came out in the writing yeah i think i knowing all of your our films i think we all have very drastically different production lives because um, I uh, ne- didn't hear from Inga for months after I initially contacted her because she was in Israel at the time. She comes back. She's like, Leah, meet me for lunch tomorrow. I'm like, okay. Oh, God. So luckily, I have to credit the Jacob Burns Film Center Creative Culture Program because part of that allows us access to all different types of equipment. So we have the 5Ds, the Ursa Minis. And without that assistance, I don't know how I would have done this film. Um, So I just grabbed a 5D and like went to meet her. And, you know, I brought my camera and some cookies and tried (laughs) to bond with her that way. And I felt rushed because I knew that she was only here for a certain amount of time. So my production schedule felt really rushed. So I sort of approached it, not how I typically like to approach production, but knowing her story was so incredible and she was so incredible. Um, I kind of went through it kind of like week by week, like, okay, so this week I know this about Inga, so what should I shoot next week that will service what I think the story is going? So it's sort of like this guessing game of like, where is the story going to go tonight? You know, um, she's only here for two months. So um, that's why I had a lot of um, a lot of help. And thankfully, you know, with um, my producers, Christine Wexler, Elizabeth Parker and Sean Weiner and then my editor and also um, she was on shoots with me, Steph Corey helping. So we all kind of did a lot of everything on the production end um, because it was kind of really crammed. But ultimately what was interesting about this film was um, I knew that the story was headed towards this direction of like Inga's experience of old age. And I knew that that was like the crux of what I wanted to tell. And at that point I was working on the edit with Steph. And when we decided that, and I was like, oh, there's images that I want to service that. So we actually went back into production when I thought I wrapped. So that's why there, um, that I, I, you know, I, I didn't give myself a hard and fast rule about production because the story was, she had so many different ways of, you know, the story could have gone with her rich um, history. So, yeah, production was crazy, but we made it through. <laughs> That's so hard with people, too, because yeah. <laughs> a person's like we choose the life that we're going to show. And it's sometimes a little bit two dimensional because there's always other factors with someone else that, yeah. you know, you can't include in a short. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're in their 90s. Yep. And she canceled on me five times, which is why I also had a lot of different folks shoot on this because I, you know, I scheduled with my DP Curvin and then she'd call, I don't want to do it today. And then later that afternoon, where are you? You know, so she, she went up and down, which is what the film is really kind of shows that, that when you're 97, you know, and even me, you know, one morning I'll wake up and I'm in a bad mood and at the end of the day, I'm like, where's the party? So I understand <laughs> yeah. that, um, working with subjects. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, for, for Miriam, for Sister Hearts, um, and my process in it is, uh, you know, I, I really admire when um, documentary filmmakers can be so objective. I'm a very opinionated, subjective person. I think I'm not totally capable of being the fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, with most of the, you know, and to me in my brain, like a doc and a narrative is like, to me, an interview is just like working with actors. Like what you're really trying to do is pull out some sort of truth out of them that then the audience feels. And then, and in one format, that's a performance and the other formats an interview. Mm. Um, and in my first interview with Miriam, we, you know, we had kind of, a, I do it over Skype 
I just send the sound person there to record it, make sure it's usable. Um, I don't like to see the talking head that much. Um, and, you know, talk to her for like two hours. And then my first thing I do after a call is like, what are the five things I remember? And, and those five things I'll then map out into some sort of outline, some sort of traditional act structure to it, you know, but not, not as like a rule, but just as a way to just organize. Um, and for Miriam's story for me, it was clear, um, what the beginning, middle and end was, um, what the pivotal kind of things were, what the things I wanted the audience to take away from it. I wanted people to understand what the women's incarceration story is, how it is unique, how, it, how these women are unseen, um, and also be able to make sure that people understood this economic angle of it. Because really at the end of the day, my whole goal was to champion a person who took adversity and did something with it. You know, so that was my filter. Like, is everything working towards that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as that goes, what that does is it, I actually create a scene list. And we shoot it kind of like in a more narrative kind of um, style where like we, it's five, we shot four consecutive days, um, spent X time at X location, moved on to the next location, moved on to the next location. And I had like, I had a, you know, a script that the crew was using to know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and our story called for that, um, at least the way I approached it. Yeah. Right. Like a verite approach would have been something really different. Totally. And for me, that's just, um, you know, I'm creatively right now, like this is the way I want to work right now, as far as with that story goes, I wanted to have, you know, I, I, the cinema I grew up loving, um, to me, it was just like doc, narrative, everything. Like, you know, I guess they call it a hybrid now. Yeah. I mean, this stuff has been done for a long time. Like, if you've ever seen Close Up, Abu Kiristami's film, like, that's like the most meta film of all time because it's, you know. But it um, does feel like an exciting moment in this, like, doc fiction hybrid space. Sure, it is. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, our formats, I mean, film is so primitive. I'm like, we're still figuring it out. Well, actually, to that point, and I'll start with you, Mo, you're talking about kind of how this doc short fits into your larger career and that you're focusing also on a narrative feature, which is kind of a different headspace. I'm curious for for each of you um, how these films and your other maybe doc shorts fit into a, your, the bigger picture of your career yeah. and what you would say to other filmmakers about maybe the value of like experimenting with a doc short. Sure. Um, there's a lot of value. For me... Um, Documentary, like some documentary, um, I've I've watched. I think I think it was like the Overnighters. Um, that you know, it was like, how wow, like you're really this. I, I would have a hard time, I think, dealing with like that kind of a environment with real people. There's a certain a comfort when you're doing narrative work because everything's like not real at the end of the day, some level, right? Um, but for me, the learning to interview people, getting them to bring out what I want and also making sure it's going to work for the edit, um, has, is to me like a masterclass in like working with actors, mm. you know, cause you're working with people that aren't trained. You're trying to get them as normal people who don't think their story is interesting mm-hmm. to realize that their story is interesting and speak to you in a way that makes them 
realize that they do have something to say, mm. you know? And I think that's the, always the biggest hump to get over is making the subject realize like what you experience or what you're going through or, you know, it's actually important. Um, and as far as the bigger scheme, for me, the work that I would like to do and I'm trying to do is always about giving some sort of voice to um, people who haven't been able to speak um, on their terms or, you know, um, aren't represented, you know, um, I'm an immigrant, you know, so I'm always gonna, and I grew up in Silicon Valley. So I, we were, you know, my parents did not work in technology. You know, we, we were artists. So I, I had an experience of being, you know, from a family that was very unseen as far as like what art, you know, we, we, we go around we like, oh, you're from, you grew up in San Jose. Oh, you're your parents, you know, tech. And it's like, no, we, we, we grew up in like an apartment complex. You know what? Dad's 80 still works full time. You know what I mean? So um, I always, I'm very, people who, you know, the ordinary person is very um, fascinating to me. Um, so as far as, that's how I kind of see it fitting in with the greater body of work. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I definitely, you know, hear that and agree with, you know, in my process too. It's, I see this, um, when, I, when I'm on a feature, you know, or a narrative film set, um, I can see that there, like, I sort of feel comfortable in it because I'm like, wow, everything's planned out and mm. everything. But then I realize, you know, even though it's so, it can be really hard emotionally to make a film, I want to be around people and I treat it like a learning experience for myself too. Because sometimes I'll, you know, um, read about something or hear about something. And my first question is, I want to know more. So in a way, it's a little bit of a selfish process because mm. I want to learn more about a specific community or uh, underrepresented um, population. And I want to know, you know, why, how they've been wronged in the past, how have they been misrepresented in the media? And I kind of like, then from there, the question is like, how can I change that? And because of my relationship with this person, I see them as like a friend, you know, like Ingo is like my grandma, you know, and I feel like the characters I'm with, even if I don't agree with them politically, or socially, you know, I, I feel like they're my friends. So in a way, you know, ethically, there's boundaries to, to be had with that. And you have to stay objective as you can. But I think, you know, that brings a delicacy to your projects, whether it's a fit, uh, narrative or a, a doc. It's like, you know, when you work with people, real, real people and real stories, you kind of feel like you have to create this, this delicacy and you want people to experience what you've experienced with them. So I guess, yeah, that does, I mean, I'm working on a feature about the last abortion clinic on the U.S.-Mexico border and people who don't fit neatly in pro-life or pro-choice lines. And oh, that's it's like, interesting. Is that a doc or a narrative? Doc, mm -hmm. yeah. So, but, you know, in some ways we are seeing it as like, it could be a narrative. And, right. Um, and I think it's, it's just because, yeah, there's, there's so many um, misrepresentations of folks and um, I love when somebody watches and when I watch a film and I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that before or that changed my perspective and I, I crave to create recreate that in films that I make oh. and yeah for me there's a lot of overlap between what you guys said and um, but uh, I mostly work in narrative as well and um, for but for me overall I look at project to project like it's what's right in front of me at the time and whether that's a 60 second short or a, you know 10 hour long super feature that, you know, whatever that doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> you know, I take it as it comes. Um, 
But the biggest thing that I really appreciate with documentary is, again, like what Mo was saying, like working with real people is very similar to working with actors. You're trying to draw out an answer or a response. And uh, an overlap that I try and get through all my films is to create a sense of um, empathy for your characters. And I mean, and this isn't empathy like, oh, like look at this poor person and feel pity for them. This mm. is, you know, empathy where you want to kind of stand beside them. And, relate. Uh, yeah. yeah, and relate. And I mean, the, the documentary landscape is a pretty great training ground for that. Um, I mean, how I'll be able to really transform into a larger narrative like a feature, um, you know, remains to be seen. But hopefully these are all just things that will work out for me for the benefit somewhere down the line. Who knows? Just like scouting, filming, and editing, having great music should make your film better instead of being a roadblock. Musicbed is dedicated to making that a reality. That's why they've completely rebuilt their platform of over 650 world-class artists and composers with brand new features, workflows, and an easy checkout process. Want to exclude holiday songs from your search in July? Go for it. Need a folk song that has guitar but no banjos at 120 beats per minute? No problem. With advanced search filters like Include Exclude, Beats Per Minute, Key, Song Build, and more, finding the perfect song has never been easier or faster. Even better, they've offered a 20% off discount code. Get 20% off your next on-site license at musicbed.com with coupon code IndieFilmWeekly20. That's IndieFilmWeekly and the number 20. Learn more at musicbed.com new. I love that there's a thread of empathy kind of between what all of you are saying. And, you know, that's what docs in a way are, are for, I think. And we talked a little bit about this interesting moment of the doc fiction hybrid. But I also, when I was thinking about this conversation, I was thinking about it being like kind of a golden age of docs. Like we keep talking about peak TV, which is, of course, happening. But I feel like this short doc form, like suddenly there's all these places to see short docs and there's kind of an appetite for them. And even the like little things that show up on Facebook with the subtitles, they are short docs. So I'm curious kind of what your take is on this, like this moment in short doc. It's definitely exciting. I mean, um, uh, I was really lucky enough to head out to Sundance this year and check out the short docs and Charlie Swan was there. And I was super, super inspired, like immensely inspired because everything is so different. Like, you know, you're watching a short doc and, and I went, you know, I'm like, is this a fe- is this a narrative? Are you sure this is a doc? You know, and that it, to me is like incredible and the different styles that there are. And it's just, it's going to benefit all of us because there's so many places of inspiration to draw now and, um, you know, recreating the medium. I think it's really exciting to see how, you know, all, you know, all of our films sort of, even though I'm a more traditional doc, but kind of transcend the medium in some ways and try, are trying new things and especially your films. And so it's so exciting. Um, and hopefully it'll be lucrative too, <laughs> because, you know, making stocks for no, no money. Um, can, can always can, deliver pizza someday. Yeah, it's true. I, yeah. So <laughs> that would be like a nice, a nice addition to, to, uh, the situation, but obviously I don't do it for that. Clearly. Well, well, the thing that I love is that people, there's, I feel like there's kind of just people who watch yeah. short docs and people that don't. And some people, yeah. they, yeah, on Facebook occasionally catch one and check it out. But the people that love short docs love short docs. And <laughs> if you yeah. really talk to them, you think it would be all that they watch and they never seen anything over, you know, 40 minutes long. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's great right now. And I mean, there's so much 
Um, I mean, people complain about saturation right now and that there's so many films coming out right now and, you know, it's hard to stand out, but that kind of just raises the bar more than anything. And you're seeing, I feel like every day I see a new film that blows me away and not just on like a technical level, but on a way to really get into a story and hook onto one and, you know, point it back at you, the viewer and all that stuff. So yeah, it's totally a good time to be alive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, um, it's crazy. I mean, you know, the, the access to content is, is unreal, Mm -hmm. you know, you, and the, and the, um, ability to make content is, um, easier than it's ever been. And I think those two things create a perfect storm, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, there's what, what, what it teaches you is that we do live in an incredible world. Um, there is a world outside of our own reality. And I think those are very, um, that's a good, that's a dose, that's a healthy dose of like, of, uh, of something that I think we need as right now in the climate of, you know, that we're living in. So alternative facts. Yeah. Alternative facts are just like understanding. And I think when film does its job, you kind of allow yourself to understand what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. You know, I think any film that you've ever gravitated towards, I would, I would argue does that at some point. And, you know, I spent a month in like a factory town in Iowa last year and on a native reservation and, um, on a native American reservation. Um, and, both cases weren't what I expected. And I think hopefully those films also kind of um, bring that out too to people. But I think, you know, at the same time, you know, I I, I think uh, you kind of see a similar pattern. Like something, there's like something works and everybody else wants to do the same thing. And then usually then the brands want to do the same thing. And we're living in kind of in this time of integrity marketing where everyone kind of wants to make stuff that's because you know you can skip through ads these days so you're all these companies and brands are forced to make stuff people want to watch because the days of having to sit through a commercial are over so by default you're forced to make stuff that's good which is great um but as but as creators you know we always want to be able to not repeat ourselves you know and i think that's what um that's the you know and when i talk to you know because i also have a foot in the commercial world and that's Mm kind of like how i pay the bills and things like that. I always, the people I deal with there is like, you know, don't do that thing you just did. Mm. Like push it, you know, give some, give someone a, what I love about independent film aside from like, which is much different than the commercial world or the studio world is it's a, it's a culture of taking risks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I really like that. Um, you know, I, I didn't, for this, I didn't know black, black and white was going to work. I thought it would. I shot it in color just in case it didn't. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean, um, and you know, and I can only imagine the, these the similar um, filmmaker insecurities that you guys are having when you're making your film. You know what I mean? So, no. um, but it's a great time for, you know, we're, we're lucky as filmmakers. I feel really bad for photographers. I feel really bad for musicians. They got it's rough. You know, I have so many musician friends that are just like, you know, our industry's, you know, effed. You know. Um, and I think we're protected similar to, I think how writers are protected in the sense that, um, you can't automate story, you know, uh, linear storytelling or, you know, it's hard. Although I think there is a film here 
that it's like an AI writ, wrote it, but they're trying. I know they're, they're trying. trying. They're trying. They're times. trying. But I agree with you for sure. Anyway, so that's a long-winded way of just saying, you know, I think I think we are kind of um, in a special time right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, to 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 your point too, Charlie. Like, where do you guys like to go see this work yourselves? Because you've all sort of said, hey, there's some great stuff out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I it definitely. Um, if you can check out festivals in your area, I mean, I, that's always to me my favorite place because you're seeing it on the big big screen, and it's definitely a different viewing experience. Um, but you know, I'm I'm really lucky in that uh, I have a community of friends and filmmakers that are always cranking out shorts and, you know, want help on them or want feedback on them. So I'm consuming them almost every day, you know, and it's exciting because they're my friends. And I I think also for like young filmmakers in particular to just know that you, you don't need to like go to like Sundance to see the best of the best. Like you, you and your friend, I mean, you could just make something and you know, as you said before, it's on social media too, this uh, all types, but you know, sites like, um, oh, they're going to blank on me, uh, short of the week and Vimeo staff pick. I mean, there are so many of those types of sites that you could just like draw inspiration from anywhere pretty much. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I also, I, I think my favorite is just watching my friends' films and working on them, and um, that's kind of where I consume short films the most. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of the exact same for me, and sure, the week in Vimeo staff picks is like, kind of every hour you check in and see what's up, If depending on what kind of day you're having. Um, <laughs> and apart from that, it's just, uh, yeah, festivals are the best, but I hate to say it, but they're way better when you're a filmmaker at the festival because you meet other filmmakers and it kind of recharges your batteries and fires you up to go make the next thing. And, you know, that's what I take away from most any festival is like the big screen and you got to just get completely zeroed in on the film and, you know, your phone isn't there beside your laptop when you're watching it on your bed on your belly at three right. in the morning. Like, right. Well, we are talking to filmmakers on this podcast, so I think it's mm-hmm. great advice. We're always telling people, get to the festivals in your yeah. area. It's so area, important to yeah. just totally. meet people. And yeah, and to support it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, Vimeo, I mean, yeah. they've. it's really um, kind of an amazing um, thing. And, and I think you've I, had a staff pick or two, right? Yes. So, you know, big deal over here. <laughs> <laughs> They've, you know, they've been huge supporters of, of my work, but also so many other filmmakers. Um, and what a special place that you can go. And like, I'm, I'm on there a lot because, you know, there's, you know, short of the week, of course, uh, Vimeo, uh, or excuse me, um, boom and like different places or like, um, topic, like there's always, there's some great sites to, but they all kind of funnel into Vimeo. So I kind of We'll go there, but I, you know, I'll check that stuff out too. Um, back in the day, like you know, Walfin, um, you know, um, and uh, but yeah, and I think for me, just like I said, Vimeo is pretty much where it's at for me as far as finding stuff. And the thing they did here was super cool. That was really cool. The Vimeo house. I think we all appreciate short films, but we don't uh, value them enough, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, because yeah. they don't have a space in capitalism right you know right so um it's cool to see that yeah that's such a good point but i think some of that is changing like in this weird way and kind of to my whole thinking about the golden age of docs is that 
okay, Leah, I don't know that we're really going to make a living making short docs, but it's like the cost to benefit ratio of making a short doc versus a feature now. Like if you can get paid by the New York Times or the Guardian or one of these outlets to show your short doc, right. you, you're probably making a little more than you would to show a feature because you've spent five years and every last dollar on making a feature. So I'm not, sh- you know, it's interesting. I'll push it even more. I mean, we just talked about, you know, the inclusion writer, like what about a short writer? Like put a, put a short in front mm. of your feature, you know, that's a great, that's a, like neon does yeah. that, you know, in some of their, I think, you know, I think it's a, it's a way for people to discover talent. I think it's a way for, um, value to be placed on shorts. Um, because I think it's important for there to be monetary support for a format or else eventually it will die. Yeah, I, I do believe that. I kind of like that there's no money to be made because it's there's way like a, a feature film is a property like there, that is a property to make money off of. You know, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they break even and that's good enough. But I mean, I like that. That isn't I feel like if that is fully behind shorts that it's the landscape is going to completely change and there's going to be like a weird new viciousness to it and you're just going to see all this kind of really hammy stuff start pouring out. I don't know, that's just me. And, I'm, a, uh, and I'm a big, I'm very, very passionate about filmmakers making a living. So anything that allows that to happen, I think I'm going to get behind. Um, I don't think, I mean, yeah, if it's, I think it should be more of like a, a licensing thing. That, yeah, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we could but, use uh, a little bit of a balance. Out yeah, there too. I mean, yeah. I think I think you know one of the things I talk about all the time is like the importance of filmmakers being able to make a living making films. I think that's a because I want to if we're gonna if we really want to see diversity in film, if we really want to see socioeconomic diversity in film, yeah. it's got to happen. Yeah, you know, because most most of the people I know I know some crazy talented filmmakers. You know, there's there's this, uh, you know, Rodrigo Reyes, do you know him? He's an amazing filmmaker, you know. Um, he made one of my favorite docs ever, Purgatorio. And, you know, he, he works, he's a translator at a, at a court in, like, central California. I mean, this guy should be... Like, imagine making, what he could This guy should be making if... films 24-7, yeah. you know. Yeah, so I, I, anything that can help create more diversity, not just in um, gender and color, but also just, like, in terms of, like, different kinds of films having value. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's an important thing to try to figure out. It's a really interesting conversation to keep having. I think, you know, hope we'll all keep having it in our own communities. Um, so finally, we always ask advice because, of course, it's no film school. And um, I think I'm particularly intrigued in this group about this idea of, like, traveling between different formats. So so what, do you, what advice do you have for someone who might have been maybe working in features or feature docs, feature narratives, or animation or anything, and they want to approach a short doc? Is there anything very specific you might think to offer them? Well, um, how I was saying before, I sort of like sparked this thing in me that was so true. And when you were talking about like you kind of had like this thesis statement you were writing through it throughout the whole process. And I think with that, like regardless of what um, format or um, genre you dive into, it's like... Don't limit yourself to rules if you don't need them and just always follow your story, your thesis. Like if you just look at, you get a piece of paper out. I mean, this helped me a lot. Just get a piece of paper, write down what you think the best thesis you want to, you know, the story that you want to tell is. And then everything you do should be just servicing that. Um, And so I think with that, that's sort of like the root of, for me at least, the root of my process. And it, it transcends doc and fiction or... 60 second short or 70 minute short feature I mean just making sure that the story is 
is what you want to say. And the technical stuff you can always learn, you know, I mean, do it yourself. Of course, like there's benefit in, you know, learning the craft of, from talented folks. But I mean, in that sense, there's always people that could help you with the technical stuff. Um, and yeah, I guess that's what I would say. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> like, for me, it's always about like, and that's why I didn't really do in the beginning as much, but I've really come around to it. And that's really right it in the beginning, even if it is a documentary, shorter, long, you know, write it and write kind of the ideal scenarios. Like I would love it if my subject said mm-hmm. this or something to this effect and leave room for, you know, variations or surprises. Um, but I mean, you make up for that in the edit. There's so many different kind of stages that you have to be adaptable. And yeah, it's just, you know, no one's going to be worse off for making a film. Like every film, even if it's completely terrible and it's, you never want to show anyone. I mean, as long as it's not anything that's you know, harmful to people, it will serve you better in the long run. Like, you know, it's, it's exercise and that's the way it works. Yeah. I mean, uh, Darren Aronofsky's keynote the other day was, was actually really cool. And one thing I, I really took away from it as a, a validating thought is like, you know, make something only you feel like you can make if you can, you know, um, you have to be, passionate about the thing you're going to do. Um, and I think at the same time, you know, learn the rules, but, um, you know, it's art, you know, just like you don't need a, you don't need a, like a, a manual, you know, learn, learn the techniques, learn the rules, but, but, you know, make stuff that's you, you know, and keep doing that. Um, because I think eventually people will gravitate towards that. I really think it is an industry of of um, of just you know out outlasting doubt, you know, and um, that's what I think it is, you know. And for me, I think if in the director's position, I think it's very important to um, understand that you're you're a leader. And, you know, someone asks, oh, what's, what book should I read about directing? I'm like, actually, go read it. My favorite book about directing is written by Vince Lombardi. He's an old football coach. But it's about leadership. Mm-hmm. It's about taking full accountability. It's about making sure that you're putting people in positions to be successful. And understanding that you should all, that, that the buck stops with you and you should, um, anything that doesn't go right, it's on you, you know? And... Um, if someone's not doing something the way you want them, well, you ask yourself, well, why did you put them in that position? You know, and I think what that creates is you become someone that people want to work with. And without question, I'm sure both of you guys agree with this. These films were not made by one person. <laughs> exactly. Know? This is such a collaborative format. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many people that touch this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's also because of that, you know, um, it is also an industry that doesn't give enough credit to everyone that works on the project. So, um, you know, it's don't get caught up in the, in the, in the romanticism of, of what it, it being, if you're, if I think if when you're directing, you're doing it right, it, it feels just like, it feels like being the janitor. It feels like being, you know, it feels like it's, it's very blue collar, you know? Um, so, you know, I think that's my, I think the, the, the twist I could put on it is 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 remember that you're you're leading, you know, and and take that 
with a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And, and to add on that, it's refine your team, like choose your good team and stick with them. And I feel like I'm in a really good place with, you know, these are people that I've now worked with on many films in a row and we're ready to go for the next one, like already. And it's have those people and it's not just shorthand, it's confidence and knowing that people can bring different ideas and then eventually, you know, everyone kind of steers their own team and, and, and Especially it sounds like your film too, because you're doing such oh, personal yeah. subject matter. You got to make sure we had to turn into a job so yeah. I didn't fall apart when we were making yeah. it. And they all, uh, they all kind of carried me. Not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I bet. Yeah. yeah same. I was through a very deep hole in like the self doubt world. And I really like without the team I was with, I don't think it would have been made really. So yeah. Well, I think I think a lot of our uh, you know audience is going to be able to relate to that, and also to find this conversation so valuable. So, thank you all for being here. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Death Metal Grandma will next be screening in Hot Docs in Toronto. You can see my dead dad's porno tapes on the New York Times website, and Sister Hearts is on Vimeo. If you liked this conversation, check out our other shows. On Wednesdays, our miniseries called The First Feature, a step-by-step primer on making your first film based on the making of Ryan Koo's Amateur. And on Thursdays, our Indie Film Weekly News show that fills you on on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. You can get any of these by searching for the No Film School podcast in iTunes or your favorite app. Also, be sure to visit nofilmschool.com for useful new filmmaking articles every single day. Meanwhile, stay in touch. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at No Film School. See you on Thursday.